I'm Dave Emmons, of course, and I, I've written uh, several books. Now I'm on my fourth book, and here is the first one, They. It's What Do They Want? And my third book, actually, is Angels and the Supernatural. Uh, it's just come out, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, just got out the last few months, but I, I got my second book that I'm redoing, republishing it, because the the publisher didn't treat me right. So I'm I, I'm going to, you know, uh, publish The Senseless Wars. And a lot of that, what we talked about in the earlier segment, is is in that Senseless Wars book, in which I'm going uh -huh. to re republicize. But uh, I'm on my fourth book, and I'll be finished with that probably, hopefully, in a couple of weeks if I don't get distracted. Yeah. But, uh, my background in ET's UFOs goes back to when I was 13 years of age and I saw my first one. This was a vague recollection, and uh, it was a, a ship that looked like a small barge and had a blue undertone light to it. And I was sitting outside in my backyard, my rest of my brothers and sisters, in which I had 10 brothers and sisters and myself, and we, we lived in middle class, you know, we so we were we were kind of struggling financially, but we played outside a lot. So I was sitting there by myself, and I looked up, and I saw this barge-looking thing about 70 feet long, maybe about 30, 35 feet wide. It had white lights on the front of it. Underneath, it was a shining, glowing blue. And I looked up, and I thought, what's this? That's one of those those, uh, those flying saucers, we called it. When we was, we was back in that day, we called it flying saucers. And I said, oh, no. And I felt weird. Uh, but then I found myself in my bed, and I don't know how I got to my bed, uh, you know, without anybody seeing me, uh, but I was laying there, my legs were numb, unless they come back later, and then they come in in the room and 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 mess, you know, mess with me, or whatever took uh, DNA and everything from me. But my legs were numb, and I felt like somebody was next to me, and I shared a bed with my older brother, and I said, Jack, have you seen anything or heard anything? He said, No, go back to sleep. And while I was laying there, the presence was gone. And then I felt more comfortable. But that's about all I remember about that one. That was when I was 13. Mm -hmm. Now, the next following year, uh, my my best friend and I saw this this one craft. At, and this was a kind of a flying saucer, kind of like a, it was kind of like the Nazi flying saucer that you might have seen some, you know, uh, documentary films on. We were sitting down at the bottom of his, his, uh, his steps, and he, he lived in the lower basement flat there. And with his dad. And so we were drinking Pepsi out of a glass bottle. And that dates me right there. And we had a 10 transistor radio. And the radio starts snapping and popping. And we were and it was about 1030 at night this week and recall. Uh it was it was we was on summer vacation from school. Uh then we smelled this smell that smelled like sulfur. And we thought to ourselves, what does that smell? And as kids, we thought it's sulfur because we smelled sulfur before, but you know, we wasn't we weren't educated in, in all this, that kind of thing, but we smelled it. And then we looked up and we saw some bright lights, small lights coming over the treetops. And we saw, oh, what's that? So my buddy said, let's go up and grab a flashlight out of my dad's truck. So we did, and we start walking up the road. And his road, a neighborhood road, and my neighborhood road was, it was separated by like two house rows in a backyard. And we were pretty close. You can throw a ball and, you know, to each other but we walked slowly up this road and his road and he flashed this this uh he did an sos on the on the on the uh i guess you call it a flashlight it was a normal size flashlight you guys call it a torch right yeah torch. yeah 
Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a flashlight torch. And he thought he was communicating with him. And as I recalled later, and I, I thought this through, he wasn't really communicating with him. The lights were hitting the treetops and the leaves were blocking out the light and then the light would appear and it would come off and come on due to the lights. He thought they were, I told him later, no, that the, that flashlight, they might've followed us with the flashlight, but they had us targeted for some reason. They were going to get us either where we was on the steps or where we were going to go. So we went up to this empty lot. And it was right above, it looks a little hillside that goes down to my backyard. So we were right over, you know, my backyard. And we stood there in that empty lot. And this this uh, flying saucer, in which it was a, is a saucer shape, it was kind of a chubby, like like these, you crank up these uh, little tops and they spin. And uh, it, it was kind of looked like that. It had three layers. Uh, the bottom was black looking because it burned its way through the atmosphere. And that's what caused the smell. It was wow. an old smell carbon dioxide, you know, and uh, hydrogen, oxygen, all melting, you know, together and causing a, 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 a I guess, a, a, what they call, I call sulfur, like gun smell, gunpowder, or it smells like ozone in which the modern day people, yeah. as I know it now. But we looked up and we saw this thing. It had three layers. The first layer was kind of thicker, around like three donuts piled together. And it was about 35 feet wide. It was about 25 to 26 feet tall. The first layer was probably about eight foot, nine foot. The second layer was probably about the same, eight feet. And it had portals, it had windows in the second uh, level. And we were looking at the windows and the top had just, it just had a little bulbous top on it with antennae. It looked like sticking up and a red light. For some reason, I had a red light on the top of it. And the bottom around around where the windows are at, the lights were kind of shining, but they dimmed down quite a bit. And it was kind of like it wasn't very bright from then on. We were looking at this thing and we were only probably 75 feet away from it, maybe 75, 80 feet away from it at a, as you, you angle it across the yard. And I told him, I said, I'm afraid these things are looking out the windows. We saw shadows moving around the windows. I guess it was a one-way glass in which they had. And we pinched each other to make sure that we weren't dreaming. And he pinched me really hard. And I said, ow, that hurt. And he said, well, I got to make sure we're not dreaming. I said, well, yeah. I said, I wish I wish my brother was here with us. And and he said, yeah, he's missing out on this. And, and we were scared, but we were talking gibberish. And I remember I recalled some of the gibberish later on, but I didn't recall it uh, there at that time or afterwards. And we kept watching this thing. And we didn't know what happened next. We really don't. Uh, we ended up standing there. We don't know how long we were there, but my estimate would be that we were there from 1030 until maybe 1130 or midnight. Uh, it stopped. It kind of just stopped and we froze and we looked at each other and it was gone. And my buddy didn't see it, see it leave. I saw it leave. And I said, wow, I was watching and it just shout out to the west real quick right through the cloud cover and i said wow that was fast and i don't know my the buddy didn't see it he turned around to me and said i'm gonna go home and tell my dad i saw a flying saucer and i said yeah i'm gonna go home and tell my mom you know and so we went both our ways and the next day he told me he said yeah i told my dad he said i walked by him at the bed and he said he said yes son you saw a flying saucer now get your ass to bed <laughs> 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 so uh and then i went home 
And I, the doors were locked, both doors, the screen door and the regular door. And I knocked on the door and my mom come to the door. She had it all locked up. Normally she don't lock it up that much at night. Uh, if she knew that we were still out, but she thought I was staying overnight with my friend and we were just watching TV, late TV, whatever. But I, she said, where have you been? You know what time it is? I wish she would have told me what time it was because I wasn't wearing a watch. And back in those days, the kids didn't have watches. Either that, I'd have a Timex or a Mickey Mouse watch. You know, that that's about the only thing we could afford. But she says, it's late. And I said, I said, Mom, I saw a flying saucer. She said, get in the house before I fly and saucer your butt. And so <laughs> I went in the house and I said, I did, Mom. She goes, okay, you did, you know, get to bed. So, you know, they, they didn't take it very serious. Of course, yeah. Uh, so next day we told our schoolmates about it and uh, they – they laughed at us, of course. You know, they were the first ones, our first critics, which you could yeah. say I, that I've had to confront. Uh, and so, and I, the parents also were, were kind of skeptic. And my buddy and I talked and they said, we did see it. And I said, oh, yeah, we did see it. It was there. And I said, I know it was there, you know, and uh, we knew it. And we both described it to each other and it was right on, you know, everything we did. Uh I would usually wait. I've been trained as a journalist and uh, in school and everything. So I, I usually make a lot of notes. I have ledgers that I keep. And I didn't keep a ledger back then. I was too young to even get into that stuff, and I wasn't thinking about it. But I I have a fond memory, and my brothers always tell me, said, boy, you can remember things way back in detail. I said, yeah, I can. I usually can, and I can remember. I just have a hard time with names, usually. That's about it. But everything else I, I remember. I I I remember telling my buddy, I said, well, I guess we shouldn't talk about this anymore. And, and he said, yeah, he says, I'm getting tired of being laughed at. And I said, yeah, I don't want to get in any fights. So we just kind of went calm. But two weeks later, the other shoe dropped as I was talking about being a journalist. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it did. Uh, one day I was, I was, I felt something in my left testicle and I thought, what the heck is that? You know? And, uh, and I, uh, I reached down, I looked, and there was a red line cut, a real thin red line, about an inch long. And I didn't know it at that time, but that's a laser cut. And so I looked at it, and I said, wow. And then there was a lump right underneath that red line. And I felt the lump, and I then I pushed, I kept pushing up on it. And I had, I had a sense about the whole situation that if I pushed hard enough and got it back through that red line, because I knew that's where it went in at, through that little red line. So I pushed hard and hard, took me three or four minutes. I finally got it out and there wasn't any blood. It did not bleed. And I had it in my hand and it looked like a, like an M&M, a small, like an Advil tablet or something. And it was, it was kind of ash color, light color. And then as I held it out, it started getting browner because the oxygen was, was deteriorating mm -hmm. the whole thing. And so I took it and showed my mom and she goes, what is that? I said, I took that out of my left testicle, mom. And she goes, well, I had other words for it as a kid. You know, the medical term I didn't come up with, but I for the show, I'm going to say it that way. But uh, I showed it to her. She said, that looks like an ingrown hair. I said, no, it's not, Mom. It's not a hair at all. I said, she said, no, it's it's what grew up underneath of it. I said, no, it's not, Mom. She goes, what do you mean? I said, there was a red line cut about an inch long, real thin red line. I said, it looked like about the size of thread. And she stopped. She didn't know what to say. She was just frozen because she knew I finally hit her with some some facts that, that really bothered her. 
And she stood there and she looked at me. She said, throw it away anyway. Throw it away. And uh, she said, forget about it, okay? And I said, yeah, okay. So that's, you know, I forgot about it. But I remembered everything that went on during that time. I had some regressed dreams. It took a while, some years, I think, as during the 70s, I had these regressed dreams and lucid dreams, very lucid. I had a dream that I was with my buddy, the same buddy we saw the cra uh, spacecraft with, and we were on board some kind of a ship or something because I was sitting on a metal table. And I remember it being very warm in that room and it was dark. I couldn't see nothing, but I knew my buddy was on a table near me somewhere. I knew he was in there. I could feel his presence, but I couldn't see him. And I was trying to put a shirt on that was actually too small. Uh, my friend wore a small size shirt. And I guess I wore a medium. I was a little, a little chubby guy, you know, so on my shirt, I was trying to get it on. I couldn't get it on. I remember I was real groggy and we ended up back on, on the same place we were standing and we ended up with the right clothes on. Apparently they, they finally figured out they had the clothes matched up with us wrong. So they, they've done, they were doing some experiments on us, of course, and it was checking our DNA and there's a lot more to this that I've learned over the years that what they do and what they're looking for, they actually read your frequencies. They can, they can find you with frequencies. They don't need, uh, they don't need an implant, although I got implants, but those were for biological purposes. Uh, those were to like, they, I was 14. And so I was starting of age. So, you know, I was starting to be a man. So that's why they put it in the testicle. They wanted to influence my DNA. And, and any DNA that I might pass on. So, and they, they usually go after, you know, the smaller, not the smaller kids, but the kids that are going into puberty, they, they like it that way. That way they can start them off, you know, with the, the, the genes and the, and the DNA that they want to start you off with. So you pass it on. Uh, I, I thought that, okay, this is why they're doing that. The, and my buddy, my older brother keeps aggravating my buddy and we're all friends. And he says, how come they, they never come back after you? He says, I don't know. He's never had any contact with ETs ever since that. But I've had a lot of contact. And uh, in the recently, the last, I guess, 12, 13 years I've had, it, it, it just blew up exponentially. I mean, it was just, I just had so many frequent paranormal experiences also. But he hasn't had any. But he was a police chief. And so he couldn't really talk or do too much. And then he worked for Boeing and he was in security, he had a confidential clearance, so he couldn't talk or say too much about anything. He didn't even want to friend me on Facebook because he knew that I was having UFOs and things on my Facebook He's page. He's a UFO guy and I work for a big yeah. company that, that yeah. would take kindly to that kind of friend. Right. I, uh, uh, now with disclosure, it's a little bit different. They're, they're a little bit more lenient on that. But I, I thought, okay, there was something that they didn't want with him. It wasn't the DNA or was it his frequencies or whatever. They they go after a certain frequency or DNA, and it's usually family-oriented. It's in your bloodline. Uh, I have a theory on that. I just come up with the last few months, and I've talked about it on different shows, that 80% of our DNA, scientists say, is junk, and 20% is us. Okay, but that's not really true. Now scientists are saying that 
is something. It means something. It has some information stored in that. It just don't know what it is. Yeah. Yes. And what it is, it's it's your long bloodline history that's in that 80%. It's a recorded history of you and of mankind. Okay. So they're interested in that 80%, not especially for me uh, or for us as individuals, the 20%. Yeah, they're, they're, they're taking our DNA and they, they know who we are. They get our frequencies. Uh, they either put a, a an implant in you, but the implants are basically for uh, changing your DNA, modifying your DNA for their purposes. We don't really know what that purpose is. It, you have all kinds of theories what the ETs are here for and what they're looking for. I know what they're looking for. I just, I don't know why. Or is there going to be a day that, uh, you know, that they're going to make their move? I don't, I hope they don't make it now with the administration we got now. <laughs> but when they make their move, what happens to you guys who've been, uh, who've had your DNA changed, who've, had, who've been experimented on in some way? It, it's, uh, I, I guess you go back, and I, I wrote this book, Angels and the Supernatural Beings, and I got into a lot of biblical things. And it, if you have the frequency or DNA that they've, that they've been tagged, they tagged you with, there's a possibility that you could be involved in a rapture and they could take you. But I'm now, I'm too old. They don't want me. <laughs> but I've got, got that DNA from, from what they manipulated in me because I know I'm being... Uh, there's things that happen. I was telling you earlier in the early part of the show that uh, what has happened to me lately. But, uh, and it kind of scares me sometimes, but I'm not fearful of the ETs at all. It's been a spiritual thing. Whenever I, I met up with an ET, it was kind of an uh, adrenaline rush. And they say that adrenaline rush. And scientists say, if you have an extraterrestrial experience, and if you get fearful, and it's even like seeing a ghost or something, you get really fearful, your adrenaline flows. And when your adrenaline flows, it increases your brain cells. And, the, you know, it's just, they say it increases your brain cells. You actually get smarter from this. And there was one scientist who said there's three ways you do this, by fear, or you can go into, into a shower, take a hot shower, and then your last minute turn on the, the cold water, and your whole body will be shocked. And that it's that shocking that turns up the adrenaline and it sparks drain cells. Yes. So it's sort of creating synapses there to deal yes. with whatever situation your yeah, body the little, is the little, the little octopi, I call yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah because. Hands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. In 2011, I took one out of my leg, an implant, and I got a lot of pictures of it. And it and, looked like, uh, like that? Yes. I had a, a biological supervisor at the St. Louis University. She worked there. She's an older lady. And I had my little microscope and I took it to a UFO meeting up in Illinois. And there's about 30 people there. And I took it, put it under a, a glass and I showed everybody. And the biological person, she looked at it and she was very experienced. She said, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that before. She said, it looks like little octopi. And I said, yes. I said, they're kind of crawling around. And I said, yeah, it, it looked like uh, brain neurons, like like you were just alluding to a while ago. What year was this? Uh, 2011. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And this was after I met uh, a humanoid ET in 2010. And well, well, the, um, the ETs that you've met, and I'm sure everybody asked you the same question, but you said there are different types of them. So 
Um, what types have you met, you know, Pleiadians and et cetera, and, and what do they look like? I'd be very interested in finding that out. Okay. In nine, and I didn't, I didn't see any of them in my, even in my regressed dreams from the first two encounters I had with UFOs. But in 1995, I had a visit by a little gray, about three and a half feet tall, maybe four at the most. And uh, my my ex-wife and my wife at the time, ex now, but she liked the room dark because she couldn't sleep. She actually put a blanket over the curtains and everything. So, and uh, and it was really dark in there. And my my adopted daughter would come in through our room sometimes to go to the medicine cabinet, get herself aspirins. She had headaches quite a bit, migraines. And so I thought I heard somebody come in the room, and this was about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I put my elbow on the uh, in the bed, and I put my hand and my, my, my chin in my palm, and I looked up and I hollered out her name three times. And then I saw this dark figure walk past the mirror. And I said, what's going on here? And uh, I looked around again, and I changed hands. I put my chin in, the, in my left hand, and I looked at this thing, and it was a little gray creature, but it was gray-green, actually. It had big eyes, and the lenses weren't on. I imagine the lenses are only on there when it's when it's light or bright. Mm. They don't they don't like a bright you know light. The lenses so, are those black. The black eyes are actually lenses. I would say so because this one didn't have. His eyes were twice our size, and yeah. you could see the whites in the pupils, and I could see his eyes and his face. He wasn't the commercial, real smooth like the ETs you see. Not smooth at all. This one had deep wrinkles. You can lose a credit card in the wrinkles. I always say, you know. So, uh, and and I looked at him and I was fearful. I mean, I, my heart was racing for about oh five seven seconds, and then I felt this calm and I laid back and I was out. I don't remember anything after that. But this, I didn't see him move his hands or anything, but. Uh, I could see him looking at me and he turned his head a little bit and he was staring at me. And that's what scared me. I didn't know what he was going to do. And he had, he had little, just like they say, little nose holes, just a little bump there. And he had a little mouth. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's, that's familiar, but the wrinkles and the ugliness wasn't, I didn't, I didn't think they were going to be like a smooth sort yeah. of fifties, Harry Housen style. Yeah, yeah, no, but, uh, so, yeah, but he was a little uglier than that. So I woke up. It must have been had to have been about an hour later. I I woke back up and I asked my wife. I said, "Did you see or hear anything?" She goes, "No, go back to bed." I got up and my eyes were flickering. It's a nervous tick. I've talked to other abductees and they said the same thing that they their eyes were they couldn't stop their eyes from fluttering. Is is some kind of a something that the magnetic energy or whatever they were out with, it kind of made their eyes twitch. I went into the bathroom, my eyes, I couldn't stop my eyes. I splashed myself with cold water and I kind of washed up a little bit and I walked into the living room because I couldn't go back to sleep. I was too hyped up. And I sat there and it was only about an hour or so I had to get ready to go to work anyway. So I sat there and watched TV, try to calm down and I couldn't. And uh, I thought, wow, I need to talk to somebody, but who do I talk to? You know, is this? it was just that rush. And I I went to work and I, I told the guys at work, of course, they, they said I was crazy, you know, and, you know, because they were all, a lot of people are just skeptic by nature. If they don't, yeah. it, they don't believe it. I can take that. Okay. But if you call me crazy, then our conversation is done. Yeah. But if they say, 
I have to see one to believe one. I said, good. Yeah, Thank fine. you. I'll shake their hand. You know, that's fine. I uh, mean, a know. decent person will say, you know, I believe you believe what you saw, but I find it difficult right. to entertain such a thing existing myself. But I believe that you believe it. And that's a diplomatic person, right? Right. Yeah. Giving you some, some yeah. credence and respect, at least. Right. Um, so what happened after that? Okay, what happened after that in uh, in 2001, a bad year for us here in the States, of course, but in 2001, I saw uh, my third UFO, in which was actually kind of like a, a drone, like a, like a small jet, about a 15-foot wingspan, maybe about a 15, 17-foot fuselage, and it didn't have a cabin. It didn't have no means... It had one tail rudder, vertical rudder, and that was it. Didn't have parallel rudders on the back, just a single one. And it seemed like it was like melted aluminum. It was just all one big hunk. And I was up on the towers on the, the refinery. I was a supervisor in the refinery, and I was up checking the equipment. And I was up about 140 feet. We had a stair that went up this tower, the reactor tower. And I saw this thing coming from the east and it was sparkling. And it looked like it was only about maybe 30 feet above my position, which my position was about 130 feet high. So it must have been maybe 160 feet, 170 feet off the ground. It come towards me real slow, and I kept watching. And then I called down. I had a phone line. I called down to the to the control room. And I said, hey, guys, I said, look up to the east from the control room. You'll see something strange. And they laughed at me on the phone. They said, oh, there's that Dave again, that crazy UFO crap, you know. I said, okay, all right, fine. So I stood there and I watched this thing. It come up close to me and it was probably about 30 feet over my head. And and it, I, I felt some kind of energy, like something. It was kind of like I was so hyped up in the moment. You always are when you see these things. And and I thought to myself, first thing I thought about, I said, this can't be a plane because it's illegal to fly over a refinery in the United States because of EPA regulations. They don't want any crash planes in a refinery because you blow up the city. So, yeah. so it's illegal. So I said, that's illegal. They can't do that. And I said, well, what am I, a dummy, you're talking about a UFO. You're not talking about you know a human aircraft. And this thing turned and it went south, it went real slow. Matter of fact, it was traveling slow. So it couldn't if it was a glider, it couldn't keep aloft at that speed. And also, what would a glider be doing around a refinery only about, you know, 160 feet off the ground? It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't do that. Uh, not, you know, we couldn't do it. Uh, also, you'd, you'd see wings. Yeah. Well, yeah. it did have did have wings, and it it it, it didn't have a, it didn't have a cabin or it didn't have any windows. Had no means. It didn't make any sound. Mm. And it was strange. And I and I thought to myself, that's a UFO, and it. It went south, and I told the guys about it, and they laughed, of course. Uh, I should know better by now, by then, that, you know, these people are not going to listen to me about this stuff. Uh, but a couple of nights later, which was weird, they downloaded the future to me. It told me that the refinery was going to close, and it was going to happen within the next few months. Uh, I, I was off work because I went into surgery for my back. And uh, and that that surgery changed my whole career path because I couldn't work in a refinery anymore after I had metal put in my back, and they even told me that. So, but while I was off, the refinery did close. They announced uh, closure of the refinery. 
they called me crazy because they just put $6 million worth of renovation in our unit alone. And the other units had more money. I said, well, sometimes they do that. They're pretty up things to, you know, to sell. Uh, they said, you're crazy. You're crazy, Dave. This refinery is not closing. I said, just it is. I had this lucid dream took me back to, I was walking around the unit just like I was there. I actually, I thought I was working. And I was checking the equipment, listening for any strange sounds with the equipment. And I felt the vibrations of the machines. And I walked to the uh, blower room, which is very loud, huge blower room that creates the the energy that goes up in the reactor and pumps the air to it to increase the temperature to 1,400 degrees, 1,500 degrees. And so I didn't hear the sound. I said, what's going on? And I ran to the control room and I went in there. It was all dark. No panel lights, nothing was on. I said, oh, my God. And I felt, and right away, I it told me telepathically, the refinery is closed. It will be closed. And that was my dream. And that's what I told the guys. And they said I was crazy. But three or four months later, it closed. Wow. And, and when I went in to get my personal gear after my surgery, I had a supervisor, you know, walk me through the, you know, to the unit. And I got my stuff out of my, out of my uh, little I didn't have much there that I kept there all the time, but uh, my locker room, I, I took it out of my locker. And, and I, I asked the supervisor, I said, I'd like to, like to just stand here and look around a little bit. He says, yeah, Dave, it's okay. What's wrong? I said, nothing, I'll tell you. And I walked over to the control area, the control room, and it was dark, no sounds, no nothing, quiet. And I just said, whoa, this is eerie, you know, to feel that. And I I walked over to the supervisor. I said, do you know that I told the guys that this plant would close? And it closed on about just about the same time that I said it was closed. And I said, I, this is what I saw in my dream. He said, whoa, Dave, you're giving me chills. Don't be talking that stuff. And he was a nice guy. And I said, I don't mean to be you know, scaring you, but I, that's what I saw. And I said, I attribute it to this craft that I saw that downloaded some information to me. So they do see in the future. They can plant dreams and and your memory. They can control our minds. They can control our memories, whatever goes in and out. They take information out, but sometimes they'll leave you a little morsel, you know. And and I'm lucky that a lot of times things that's happened to me, I've had these regressed lucid dreams in which told me basically where I was at and what happened, you know, during the times that I was abducted. So there's been years that nothing really happened too much. ETs don't work on schedule. They they'll come into your life when they want. I saw a little back in, in the two, early two thousands. I saw orbs and I saw lights. I didn't pay any attention to orbs. I said to myself, I saw real craft up close, so I know what they look like. So I don't count the orbs. Even today, the orbs, yeah, I'll look at them. I see, if they make a weird move, then I say, yeah, that's probably a UFO, but no biggie. You know, I've seen them up close. So I, you got to show me something more. It's like a. Uh, you know, when Spielberg makes a new episode, you want it to be better than the first, you know? So it's something in that that thought line. But uh, through the, the 2000s, I had my own business. I was busy. I played music also. And uh, in the early years, I, I was in, in combat in Vietnam. And uh, I went to school, night school, and I played music three nights a week. And I was very busy in the 70s and 80s. And then partly in the 90s when I started working at a refinery because I knew the radio business wasn't paying any money. And that's what I went to school for. But I I just thought to myself, those years were kind of quiet until 2001. And I saw this one 
uh, crap. And then in 2008, things started coming back uh, again you know, on That's a pair of That's an interesting months. time for that to start up again, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, they'll, they'll sometimes... Another troubled year. Yeah. So, yeah, so they, uh, they'll, they'll leave you for a while, but they'll always come back uh, sometime. You never know when. But this was a concentration of things that happened uh, in 2008, uh, 2009. Uh, I, I had the experience with dragonflies. Now these are these are kind of like a spiritual messenger the Native American Indians would call them, and dragonflies. I actually got it on my chain here. I got dragonfly on my chain, along with the onks, the Egyptian onks. Uh, so these are things that I believe in. But uh, the dragonfly is my totem. But now that I saw a white dove, that might be my totem now, a messenger, whatever. But I, I had a bunch of dragonflies in my front yard in the tree. There must have been two or three hundred of them. I've never seen that many. And I was going to take a load of furniture out to my niece and her her husband. He was in the Marines out in San Diego, and I was going to drive from Illinois to San Diego, which is a pretty good drive. And it's a huge truck. And then I was pulling a trailer, a car, a, a heavy a car on a trailer, plus a long, big truck in which I was loading. It was longer than a semi-tractor trailer that we have here in the U.S., but I, my brother was sitting there, and he was going to be one to take me to the truck in the morning at the, my, my niece's house. And, uh, and he, he looked at these dragonflies in the front yard. He, he said, wow, I've never seen this many. I said, I haven't either. I said, this is weird. He said, wow. He said, this is remarkable. And I, and I, I thought, okay, what's going to happen? And uh, I, he said, well, I don't know. He said, Dave, you're the one that gets into all this stuff. And I said, well... Tells me it's a message. Why would they come there right in front of us there, two or 300 of them, and which was amazing to begin with. I'd never see that. Yeah, many. I've never heard of anything like that. Uh, but uh, I, the next morning we went, and the truck, the U-Haul truck, in which was a, one of the largest you can get, uh, it had on the side of it, my brother was looking and walked the whole line of how long that, that whole truck and the trailer was. He said, have you ever driven anything this big? I said, well, I've driven a lot of things, but maybe not this big. I said, all the way out to California. And uh, so the one guy told me, he says, I couldn't do it. He said, I'm glad you're doing it. He said, you must be one heck of a driver. I said, well, I've been driving a lot, but I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go, you know? So on the side of the truck, as my brother was looking at everything else, I saw a huge dragonfly painted on the side of the truck. <laughs> and I tapped my brother on the shoulder and said, look, I said, what does that tell you? That tells me that the trip's going to be fine. Everything will be fine. I'll make it with no problem. So that was my first kind of a spiritual thing. And as I was going out there through Oklahoma and Texas and going out to the West, dragonflies would come around the truck. They'd actually fly into the truck and commit suicide, I guess. And I thought to myself, oh, don't do that to me, guys. You're supposed to be my messengers, you know? So <laughs> it was kind of a spiritual journey. I think that kind of kicked off things again yeah. because of the consciousness. And if you have a lot of, if you have a lot of spirituality and consciousness, that, that attracts ETs, actually. You can actually invite them in with that. And the CE5. the same sort of principle is it. Some people claim that whenever they're out in the street, they're always approached by somebody strange or unusual all the time some people say you know what i seem to attract these people to me and if you know people like that you think yeah there's something about you that says 
you're open for business, you know, in the sense that you won't judge and you're available for strange talk. And whoever approaches you, I get this a lot, knows they're not going to have a bad experience, whatever they've right. got to say. You're correct. Is, is that the same thing? Yes, yes. People actually can feel that energy with mm -hmm. you, that consciousness. Uh, so that's how I felt how things started. The next thing, it was about a, uh, about a year later, 2010, I, my buddy who writes ghost books, and I know you probably had ghosts on your shows, ghost shows, and he, I went on some ghost hunts, and I'm not just an ET guy, but I, I'm experiencing a little bit of everything. But I went on ghost hunts with him, and I told him, I said, you won't see a ghost with me with you. He said, why is that, Dave? I said, they don't like me for some reason. My energy is different than what there is. Yeah, so, uh, and he's a, he's written about nine books now. He's a, still a good buddy, and we keep in touch. But I went to a lady that he sent me to in, in Upper Illinois, and she was part Native American Indian. Well, she had this craft shop. And this craft shop was up on a hill, and you had to drive a little bit on this this little rocky road, kind of like the the houses that you guys have in in, in England, you know, where the oh, yeah. cottages, yeah. you'd take a little road up there, and there's a pond off to the side, you know, kind of like beautiful like country area. Mm -hmm. And I I soon I drove in, about a hundred dragonflies crossed the front of my car. Wow! And I stopped, and I had chills all over me. I said, Oh my God, what is this saying? And I said, it said, it tells me I'm going to have a great experience with this. She, she's a, she's not a psychic in which I found out uh, when I walked in, she had an, a shop. She had Indian jewelry and stuff that she was selling. And she was a very nice lady. She's just a little bit older than me. And she, she says, uh, sit down. And then she, she closed her eyes and she looks up and she says, I can tell you have a bad back. I said, okay, I'll give you that. I might have, you know, hunched over a little bit as I walked through the door. I said, the body language there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I said, I don't really particularly like psychics. And she looked at me. She was mad. She said, I'm not a psychic. She said, I'm a spiritual guide person. She said, I'm a medium. And I said, okay. And she goes, now be quiet. She said, she closed her eyes. And then she, she looked up at me. She says, you're going on a trip soon, aren't you? I said, yeah, how did you know? And she says, what, you're about nine days, something like that, 10 days? I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to Sedona. And I said, you're right. And she's okay. She closes her eyes and she looks at me again. And she said, they tell me your car is going to be damaged, but you're going to be able to finish your drive and see your friends in New Mexico. I said, how bad? I said, am I going to get hurt? She goes, no, no, no. You're not going to be hurt. Your car will be drivable. But she said there will be damage to your car. And then the third thing she said, she said something about a blonde lady that's looking for me. That could have been an ET, you know. And I said, well, I'll give you that. I've been I've been drowned in the CT stuff. And and then she, the, the fourth thing she told me, she said, you're going to, and she, this was really phenomenal. She said, you're going to meet your first ET. Uh, on this trip. I said, I already met a DT. She said, no, you're going to meet another one. This time you're going to be up close with this one. I said, really? She goes, yes, that's what they're telling me. Uh, she told me something else and I got the list somewhere, but it wasn't, it didn't relate to what my trip was about, but it was very phenomenal. She was actually four out of five correct. And that's a great, she was right on. So 
I took off to Sedona nine days later, and it just come up. Just I had a, I had to put the trip plan, but she didn't know it, and she didn't know where I was going. And I told her when she was telling me these these things she saw. So I went out to Sedona on October fourth. And I risked, and my brother called me because he kept track of me because he said he thinks the ETs were going to take me and abduct me and I'd be gone forever. So he's always worried about that. And uh, he would call me just to see if I was okay. And he called and I said, yeah, I want to take a quick nap. I said, I drove for 23 hours and I'm going to take a quick nap and I'm going to go out on the town. Uh, actually not the town, but around see the, the beautiful buttes and stuff like that. And uh, he says, yeah, good luck on that. So I rested two hours. And I got up and uh, freshened up, and I went out and had a quick bite to eat. And then I went to this big gift shop. It was in the valley, and these gals there at the gift shop, while I was buying a few things, uh, they said, "They said, oh, the people saw a UFO over there at Cathedral Rock." I said, "Oh, really?" I said, "That's what I'm here for." And she said, "Well, you might want to go over there first. I said, "I know where it's at. I've been there already." And uh, I've been, I, that was my third trip to Sedona at that point. Uh, the second trip, I went with my brother. But I went there to the Cathedral Rock, pulled in. I started filming the butte with my Sony camcorder. And then behind me, a white car pulls in behind me in the, in the parking space behind. We were the only ones there. It was kind of cloudy, a little bit sprinkly every once in a while. It was kind of cool. Not It's not, not a good day in Sedona. You know, it's not beautiful like that. I turned around and she walks up to me. She had her, her arms folded in front of her and she walks up to me. She's smiling. And I was filming her. I filmed her just a little bit. And I asked her, I said, what's your name? She says, Hiroko. And I said, okay, my name's Dave. Nice to meet you. I said, I'm here looking for UFOs. And lo and behold, I was talking to an ET. <laughs> but yeah. uh, she smiled. And uh, and then I put the camera down and I said, are you here? Are you waiting on people? She goes, no. I said, are you going to take a hike? She goes, no. And I said, I said, well, you just come here and look at the butte? She goes, no, I'm here because I'm supposed to meet you. I said, you're supposed to meet me? She goes, yes. And I thought, okay, something's funny here, something weird. You know, my my uh, my ever-present combat experience is, is there going around like a radar unit, and I'm thinking, okay, what's going on here? And I said, you were supposed to meet me. She goes, yes. I said, you know me? She said, yes, I do know you. I said, I don't know you. She says, well, we were supposed to meet. Good title of a book, right? I'm not going to yeah, tell you. We are supposed to meet. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's, that's in the making right now. But And it's be, just because of that statement in which really opened my eyes up to yeah. a lot of different things. And she said, uh, she said, yes, and it started it started raining a little bit. And I said, you want to get in the car and just chat, you know? And she goes, sure. And uh, so she gets in the car with me. And when we get in the car, there's another car that pulled up beside us, parking space over. And this is what I was telling about the alphabet guys. She was being followed. She, there was this guy probably in his late twenties and he had close cropped hair and he had a, he had some kind of a, you know, like an earpiece, kind of, yeah, earpiece with a microphone or yeah. something. And uh, it, uh, he wouldn't turn and look at me. That's one sign. Either they're dimensional if they don't turn and look at you in the face, or they're they're hiding their face because they're on a secret mission or whatever. Oh, okay. They don't see him. Yeah, yeah. So every time I looked over there, I tried to see if he was looking at us. He didn't. He didn't turn his head one time. 
I looked over at her. I didn't say anything that time, but she started talking to me. I said, could you tell me why we were supposed to meet? She goes, no, we were just supposed to meet. She goes, uh, and I'm, it's nice to see you. And I said, really? I said, okay. And then she went on and uh, she started talking about her past in Tokyo. And, of course, everybody from Japan is going to say they're from Tokyo if they want an owl buy. So that's what she told me. I, the red flags were popping up as she was talking. She, she was, looked Japanese? Or? Yes, yes, she looked Japanese. Actually, I got a picture of her in my book. And I've got other pictures. I, I got about nine pictures of her and I. And uh, so I wanted to get the pictures because the red flags were popping. Mm -hmm. And I tried to memorize everything she said. And I, you know, but she was starting to elicit emotions from me. She started saying that her mom and dad treated her mean and that her boyfriend, you know, was mean. And, uh, and I, and she started crying. She put on a cry and I said, and I put my hand on top of her hand. That's, I said, that's okay, Hiroko. You, you're fine. I said, I said, we all go through these kind of problems. But when I, when I touched her hand, it was burning hot. It was above fever pitch. It was above any fever that anybody could have. And I took my hand off her hand. I said, wow, you're, you're burning hot. And I, I said, are you okay? And she goes, yeah. And I said, it's cool out there. And you just have a little white thin sweater with a tank top on. And she had denims and there was a mud splatter on her left leg at the calf area. It was a mud splatter. She said she was out hiking the night before. And that's when the UFO was there, you know? So, uh, so we kept talking. Then this guy, he pulled out and then he pulled back in. And I looked over, and then I started getting a little bit afraid. My my uh, my military was kicking in. I had a license to carry a gun, had a gun in the console. And uh, I didn't carry it on me back then. We couldn't, uh, but in, in Arizona, you could, but I didn't anyway, because I, I was used to, you know, just having it concealed in the car. So she knew what was in that console. She looked at the console and looked at me. And I asked her, I said, do you know this guy? She goes, no. And, and she was telling me with her eyes, and she stared at me like she was burning holes in the back of my head. I said, Hiroko, don't do that. You're, I said, you're burning holes in the back of my head. I actually told her that. And I said, okay. You know, I said, fine. I said, so we kept talking, and then she said she had to have a baby. Now, that should have hit me solid. But at that point, I was just taking it in. I said, you got to have a baby. I said, but your boyfriend treats you mean, so you don't have a husband, and so you're going to get married? She said, I'd like to get married to him, but he's too mean. And, I, and she had this pity party. She was practicing emotions. I heard this from David Jacobs uh, from his books and stuff that they practice. And Daryl Sims talked about this. They practice emotions. Uh, matter of fact, he was the guy that I called after my encounter with this gal to ask him, you know, what this is all about. He kind of told me from other other people's experiences that they practice emotions on us humans to, to learn how to be more human so they can walk amongst us, just like the book is called. David Jacobs wrote the book. And so she kept saying, I said, why do you say you got to have a baby? She said, all I do. She said, I, I, I have to. So this guy pulled out and then 15 minutes later, he come back in as we were talking. We talked a lot of small stuff, and I give her this little trinket, little necklace trinket, and uh, that I bought at the, the little shop. And I told her, I said, "Well, you need something to take with you from Sedona. Here, have this. I bought this, you know." And uh, there was some printing on it, some reading. She said, "Could you read that?" 
I said, you can speak English, but you can't read it. She goes, no, I can't read English. And uh, I said, really? She goes, yeah. And she said, I know 20 languages. I said, what? 20 languages? She goes, yeah. Wow. I said, whoa. You know, red flag popped up again. You know, so uh, I, I just sat there and I was kind of amazed at what she was, you know, what she was all about. I asked her, I said, are you an angel? She goes, no, I'm no angel. And and I said something about E.T., and, and that just went right over her head. She didn't even want to listen to that. And then I asked her, I said, how old are you? And I told her my age to, you know, to kind of open the door. And she got come on point, and she looked at me. She said, you humans. She said, there is no age. There is no time. Don't you understand? I said, whoa. I said, us humans? You know? And then she said, you're God. Is like okay, it's my God, but not your God. You know, this these are things that I picked up. The they're just red flags, and uh, so we. I told her, I said, well, I guess we need to break for now. Go back to our rooms. She stayed at one lodge, and I was at another. Uh, at least that's what she was saying. And then she, we we took off, and I tried to follow her a little bit just to see which where she was going, what part of town. But she was traveling so fast, I couldn't keep up with her. I mean, she drove that car like it was a like a like it was a flying saucer. I mean, she was just gone. And I I uh, I went back to my room and I got out my legal pad, start making all kinds of notes. I made about three pages of notes of everything, and I've got them in my files. I got a lot of those notes in my book that I wrote. They and so I told her, I said, let's meet the next following day, and we. I said, for breakfast, she said she's going to Phoenix, and then she is going to L.A. after that, Los Angeles. She didn't say L.A. She said Los Angeles. And she said there's a lot of nice people there. And I said, yeah, I bet there is, you know, maybe E.T.'s. You know? So uh, uh, so she she met me the, first, the next morning, and it was about 9.30 or so. She was about 10 minutes or 15 minutes late, but I was standing there, and I knew she was coming. There was a message sent to my head, like telepathically, that she was coming. You know, don't don't start without her. So she pulled in, and I told her, I said, yeah, I knew you were going to be here. And I said, uh, you told me, didn't you? And she looked at me kind of funny, and I said, did you check out your room? She goes, yeah, what do you mean check out? And I said, if you use a credit card, I said, if you didn't check out, I said, they're going to probably charge you for the next, next night if you don't check out and officially, you know, withdraw mm -hmm your payment or make a payment. And uh, and so I, I let her use my phone. Now, that's another thing. She didn't have any jewelry, no makeup, no purse, nothing on her. She was just plain, just the, the little thin white sweater, white tank top and blue jeans. And, uh, and a car. Yeah, she had a rented car. Yeah, I, I saw the rented car. I saw where there was a box there and it had, you know, some kind of a GPS thing on it. And uh, I knew it was rented by taking a look at it. Uh, but it, uh, she met me there. We went to have breakfast. We we were standing in this little room that has a gift shop. Before you, it was something to kill time before you got you got your seat. And she looked around. There's only about twelve people, and the room was fairly good size. She looked at these people. She goes, "All these people, red flag." She's from Tokyo. There's about a thousand people per square block. You know, so. If she's used to Tokyo and all the people there, why why did she say 12 people all in one place? It was a lot of people. It's not. 
So we went in to eat, and I ordered for her. She didn't know what to order, so I ordered things for her. She ate just very little, and I ate my food. And we got up, and we was going, and she went to the bathroom. I don't know if she went there to regurgitate because she didn't eat our food. Maybe she didn't eat our food, and she had to, you know, regurgitate it back. So she comes back out, and then I said, well, let's take a drive around to look at the buttes. So we did. We went driving around looking at the buttes, and uh, I said, I'll say a prayer for you. You know, I held her hand. I, I prayed, you know, and uh, I said that you get, you know, you and your boyfriend get together and you have your baby. And she goes, yes, I, I got to have a baby. And I said, why? Really? You know, what's what's going on? She looked like to be in her early 30s, maybe. Uh, maybe the age wasn't really quite that. But she, she goes, uh, she says, well, she says, I'm supposed to meet you and I've 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 done that, and she goes. I said why, and I didn't know, but I had a regressed dream later on that, that told me why. And uh, but then we went to this restaurant after we we walked around a little bit. I won't get into a lot of the little details, but we went to the restaurant, and I ordered a couple of slices of pizza for lunch for her, you know. So, and she watched me with the pizza to see how how to eat it, because she didn't know how to handle it, and she just took a few bites off of one. Uh, one piece of pizza and she stared at me her eyes were just glistening and then she goes she goes I like you I said I like you too Hiroko I said but what's going on with you how do you know me she says I just know you I said okay I said this is a mystery and then she went to the bathroom and she had a little bag little black canvas bag looking thing that she took with her to the bathroom and I don't know what was in that bag. It wasn't makeup or anything because she didn't have any on. She didn't use makeup. So she comes back out and she goes, I really like you. And I said, okay, I don't know where that's going. I said, but I felt like a father-daughter relationship. I didn't. It didn't feel like a romantic relationship. It was a father-daughter type thing. And my feelings were correct a few months down the road. And so... We went up on top airport lookout, and uh, there was a Japanese guy, uh, but in his 50s, uh, maybe 60, and he had a bunch of camera gear on him and stuff, and he walked past us real close, and he looked at both of us. And uh, I asked her, I said, do you know him? She goes, no. I said, how come you didn't say hi? He's a fellow countryman, you know? And she goes, we don't do that. She said, that embarrasses when we see somebody in a foreign country and we say hi to our Japanese uh, countrymen, we don't do that. I said, what? I never heard of that before. They they didn't speak because they knew each other. And and in the books that uh, I think it was uh, several of these uf ufologists have written, they said that they when when there's a an ET, humanoid ET here, a hybrid or whatever, that there's a caretaker in which is an earth being in which that could have been the Japanese guy. There's security, in which could have been that one NSA guy as I talked about. Did he also appear Japanese, the guy in the car? No. No, uh, he had he had he had blondish hair and it was cut uh, really short. Of European appearance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh but I thought that the that they now knowing that the military is they're involved with ETs and they've been involved for 50, 60 years. So Knowing well, they're that, saying as much now, aren't they? They're actually openly saying it. Well, I, there's a lot of people coming forward that were generals, 
colonels, all this. And they said that they work with them and they, they've been working with them for years. There's no do- way really, Dave, that these people are coming forward in front of Congress, even though they're calling themselves whistleblowers. There's no way they're coming forward unless they're being told to come forward. They wouldn't be doing it. They wouldn't get there. Uh well, they're supposed to protect whistleblowers, but with the with what we got going on now, we don't have First Amendment rights. We don't have freedom of speech now. So you, you're on you're on to something. I know yeah. what you're on to. That, that this is a this is a ploy. This is a tactic yeah. to, to divert the attention, you know, from what's really going on. Well, yeah. perhaps that, but also um, as a preparatory stage for something in future. I don't know what it might be, but either a diversion or a preparation. Some people say, don't they? I, I don't know enough about it. But it does seem almost like uh, when I saw, it was a funny meme. I'll tell you what it was. You've probably seen it already. And it was uh, it was the whole I I want to believe thing. Only it said, right. uh, mm-hmm. uh, with the UFO, it said, I, I, I used to believe, but then the US government told me they were real. Yeah. That's yeah, uh, yeah, that was X Factor show, TV show that they, they showed that on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was just it was a funny thing because of course the the general reaction was, oh, well, if the U.S. government saying they are real, there must be some other reason for that. So maybe they're not real. That was yeah. the, the sort of the the blowback to that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was X Files, not not X Factor. Files. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. about. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, you know the oh, uh, cursed music show that we we America's Got Talent, yeah, and, uh, Simon, yeah, ex- Simon Cowell, Killer Cowell, yeah, Cowell, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's X Files, yes. Right. But I we don't know what's going on. There's so much disinformation. We have news organizations here that that uh, only cover one side of the story. They don't cover everything. Uh, and that's bias and their, their disinformation and misinformation. We don't know what to believe. You look at the internet nowadays, and they've got they got people dead that's still walking around. You know, <laughs> this no, is no, crazy. I, mean, I, I, I in the comments I said you're lying. I said quit this disinformation. You know, my God, you know we we have enough of it. You know, to that's up. how it works. Disinformation is that like you just no. give lots of little bits of truth and surround them with lies. Yeah. And then uh, the, the hope is, of course, like that QAnon thing that went on, to drag reasonable people that have objections to things that are happening into a sort of a, a crazy subsection of that resistance, so right. you can eliminate them from, you know, from uh, from the the argument. Yeah, and then you mentioned this, uh, David Gersh, and this this disclosure thing. Mm. People ask me, what is it about disclosure? What, what can you say about it? I said, well, it's going to dribble out. I said, but our government. Actually, I actually heard the ETs are telling our government they don't want to be disclosed. They don't want to have to be meeting on lawns of all these uh, presidents and leaders of the world. They don't want that yet. They said, us people, we're not ready for it. And we're not. There's a lot of people, there's 50, 60% of the people, they'd be out of their minds if they actually knew that there were ETs here on Earth. And I know they are. I've met a few. Uh, So I know they're here. They're not just flying around us. They're here walking amongst us. And that's what the all Vernon Mack and uh, David Jacobs, all of them write about. And th- that's what they said. They are here. And I've met some weird people. And uh, But this disclosure, I had a newspaper article, and I'll get to what, what you're thinking about why they're doing this. Uh, there was a, a journalist who sent me part of an article of a New Jersey casino, statisticians, who said that we were going to be attacked by extraterrestrials by October of this year. 
And she sent me that article and she said, Dave, could you, could you comment on this? And I said, sure. So I commented and I, I went in and talking, I talked about the casino. I said, well, you know, uh, casinos, a lot of times there's crime and corruption that follows, you know, casinos. And, uh, but she couldn't put that in there because we have a casino here in town. And if, if she did that, her newspaper would go downhill on advertisements. So I said, okay, leave that paragraph out. I said, but these statisticians are probably involved with, with some kind of cabal or corruption. They're trying to spread misinformation or set us up for something. I said, no, the ETs are not going to attack us. I said, we are their kids. We belong to them. They they actually help produce us here on Earth, and they've been modifying us throughout the years, thousands and thousands of years, and it's biblical. I mean, you can get into the Bible. you can Every story you see in the Bible, you can relate it to some ET event. But I told them in the, in the article, I said, no, there will not be an attack from ETs. I said, the biggest thing we have to worry about right now with all this disclosure and this discussion, just what you were saying, false flag event in which I heard that the military has holograms that they can put up in the air and make it look like oh, yeah. real. That's something real, about that. mm. Yeah, uh, Project Bluebeam, I think it's yeah, called. That's okay, yeah, yeah. By yeah. projecting basically holograms of spaceships mm -hmm. onto the sky, right. so it appears like we're, we're being swarmed, right. invaded, or something yeah. like that. And what's going to really happen, they're going to hit us with that do weapon, the, 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 the you know, oh, that this, uh, direct uh, energy weapon, weapon yeah. in which has been used. And I don't want to say because I don't know for sure, mm -hmm. but there's uh, possibilities it's been used quite a few times now. Okay. Uh, but uh, I look at the disclosures. It's not going to really happen because there, I heard that the 50% of the Pentagon don't want it to happen and the other 50% yeah. do. So there's a there's an infighting with the military. And so some of these these hearings they've had have not they've actually canceled one. The military has canceled one of the hearings that is going to have in Florida, I believe, is going to be at an air base. They canceled that. And I thought, okay, now they're starting to hesitate and stall. So this disclosure could be a setup for a false flag in which the you know the new world order and all this other stuff that's that's involved. Uh, getting back to my story, because I don't want to get too deep into it. No, sure, so, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but getting back, we uh, she got in her car, and uh, well, back before she got in her car, she was still in my car, and I said, "Well, I guess this is goodbye." And she goes, "I want those pictures." She said, "Make sure you send me those pictures." And she gave me an email address, and I wrote it down. I had a card. I usually just had a little card. It's had my name. And it had it had my phone number and my email, uh, you know, address. That's all it had on it. It didn't have my home address. I never handed out my home address to anybody. Just my name and an email and phone number. That was just a little calling card. I give her that. I said, "This is my email," and I wrote hers down. Uh, I before she left, I leaned over to to give her a peck, uh, and then she pointed at her cheek. I give her a peck on the cheek, like a father daughter thing. And I said, it was nice seeing you. I said, I hope I meet you again sometime. She said, we might, you know, and I said, great. I said, uh, said, you take care. I hope you have your baby. And I, I said, I'll still be scratching my head about why you keep saying that we were supposed to meet. Uh, but then she got in the, her car and she took off and, and that, that was over then. But five months later, the other shoe dropped. 
my cousin and I was sitting on front of my porch in Illinois. And uh, we were sitting there. It was a nice, it was a nice day. It was St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 2011. And it was about 1.30 in the afternoon. And we were sitting there smoking cigars and just chatting up a storm. My cousin and I always hung out together. And there were uh, three, my cousin thought they were Chinese. They were about 250 feet away uh, on, near near the two-lane highway that was, you know, there was a little distance from my house. But they were walking towards us. And he said, do you know those Chinese? I said, they're not Chinese, they're Japanese. And he said, how do you know? I said, I, I know. And I said, I think I know the woman. There was a woman there with them, and it was two young boys. They were young teenagers, maybe 15, 16 years old. And they were tall, a little bit taller than the average Japanese. And I said, I think I know the woman. I said, I don't know who the young boys are. And the woman stopped. She turned around and faced the other direction. She didn't want me to see her face because that was Hiroko. And guess what? She had the same white little thin sweater and the same denims and the same clothes on. And I wasn't close enough to see if she had the same mud splotch on her on her, her pants, but hopefully she, she washed them. But the two young guys walked up to us. They walked up my driveway and close. They was only about 10 feet away from us. And my cousin said, you know them? I said, no, I don't know them. I said, like I told you, I know the woman that's standing out there with her back towards us. I said, that's Hiroko. He said, who in the hell is Hiroko? I said, I'll tell you later. So these two young guys looked at us, and they had these sharp eyes, too, that can just see right through you. They were staring at us. And they asked me one question. They said, where's the new Walmart at? And I told them, I said, it's right over that bypass, about a quarter of a mile so past there. And they said, they shook their head, and that was it. I couldn't talk anymore. I couldn't. I couldn't say a word. My cousin went down like this. His eyes were glassy. He was staring down at the floor. And I said, what's going on here? I was able to kind of move my head and my eyes around, but I couldn't talk. I wanted so bad to ask him. I said, is that Hiroko? So they dumbed us down. They used some kind of energy that just, it's about the size of a, let's say it's about, it's about this size. Okay. I actually saw one in the hand of one guy at a convention one time. Uh, talking to Jim Morris, those who know Jim Morris, he's passed away now. Right. I've got a picture of these two suspicious-looking ET-looking humanoids who are standing near him, and one of them had a little black instrument in his hand, like a little flashlight by the size of a magic marker. So that's what they dumbed us down with. Uh, we didn't see it coming, uh, and we were just, I couldn't talk. The one, the taller one, the older one, looked like he's 16, the other one looked like he's 15. They were dressed like teenagers. I guess they learned how to do that. One of them walked past me in my door, the tall one, the older one. He walked past me. I didn't even know it. I was out of it. and But I could see, but I don't know why I couldn't see him walking into my house. Because when he come out, he had a my brown pleather case. I call it pleather. It's not leather, but it was kind of a vinyl case in which I kept it from rain and water. It was my notes, actually. He was digging in my notes, and he's looking at me. And I was wondering, I couldn't put it together. I was so much in the days that I couldn't put this all together until afterwards. And he pulled up some notes and he looked at me like he had a real mean look on his face. I said, oh, I, re I remember that look from his mother. I was thinking his mother is Hiroko. And, uh, and the mean look he was giving me is I had notes on her in that pleather case. I think he took those notes out that pertain to his mother and he took them and he walked back in the office and put the case back where, where I usually left it. 
And uh, then they they turned around, they looked at us, and I remember they just turned around and started walking away. I kind of come to when they hit my road in front of my, my yard, and I kind of come to, and my cousin was still out of it. I looked at him. I didn't want to shake him or anything, but – and then when he, when he they got close to where Oroka was at, he woke up and he said, what the hell just what happened? I said, you were dumbed down. And he said, are, those are ETs? I said, yes, they are. He said, oh, my God. And he was turning pale white. And they, they grouped up together, and then they walked towards the road together. Now, we could see down the highway, and we can see up the highway. We did not see a car. They did not, they, they did not use a car. They did not come in a car. They were just standing there right by the stop sign. And I told my cousin, let's watch them. And just before our very eyes, they were gone in a flash, just gone. And my cousin looked up and down the highway, and I said, you're not going to find them. They were teleported. He said, what? And I said, yeah, teleported. They're gone. I said, they just disappeared. They didn't have a vehicle. He said, "He said these ETs are going to kill you one of these days, Dave. He said, I mean it. He said, he was cursing. He was really mad. That I, I said, look, it just, I didn't get you into this. I said, I didn't know they were coming. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. He was so scared that, uh, that he was mumbling. And he got in this truck and he, he says, he said, they're going to get you one day. He said, they really are, Dave. And he drives off. My wife asked me the next day, so what did you do to him? I said, nothing. He just, he just saw some ETs that were human. And, uh, and that scared him to death. And so he'll never forget it because my brother kind of teases him about it every once in a while. He said, you've been ET'd, haven't you? And he, <laughs> he, he's about as shallow as a dry creek bed, you know, and cause when it comes to this stuff, you know, ETs and Bigfoot yeah. and everything else. But he did see an e uh, Bigfoot a couple of years later and he, really? he scared the, yeah. And he didn't believe in him. And he never watched TV. He never saw, you know, Bigfoot, but he saw one, and he was scared to death. The same, but much. Oh yeah, that would be a very he, scary experience, especially yeah. those quarters. Yeah, but uh, th and then it all dawned on me. I had some lucid dreams after that visit that they had, and I was writing her emails and sending her pictures. I did the picture slowly, like one at a time, to see if she would break and tell me who she really was. She didn't. And there looked like three different people writing these emails back to me because she couldn't she couldn't print or read English. So somebody else was writing those emails to me as I sent the pictures. I told her about the next to the last email. We, I guess we corresponded about seven times when I sent the nine pictures to her. And I told her, I said, look, you're not kidding me, Hiroko. You're an ET. Plain, simple. I said, you're an ET, and I know that. She never wrote back after that. So once once you're on to them, that's that that does it, you know. So that was the final. Yeah, the end. Yeah. So I never saw her again. But I don't know if I did or not. Here's the the thing: you don't know if they're shapeshifters. They change their their appearance, whatever. But I did have a a lucid dream about being in Sedona at that time, and this is why I knew she had to have a baby. And this is what happened: I was in the bed. There was a there was two beds. Uh, I guess they were regular size beds, uh, and I slept in the one closest to the bathroom, near on the on the on the one side. And I had a dream that there was a hose sticking into my groin area. And my right knee was in the air. I don't know why this has happened a couple of times where they put my right knee up. I don't know why they do that, but then they go with a hose. The hose looked like it was kind of a brown color, like a tan, dark tan color hose. 
and I and I kicked it away with my leg. And then after that, they knocked me out because they knew I was resisting. So they knocked me out. But then I remember somebody helping me up out of the bed and then walking me. One had one arm and the other one had the other arm, walking me back and forth in the room. There was two silhouettes of two other humanoid you know, beings. I couldn't see who they were, just dark shadows. And I was walking towards those kind of like patio doors, sliding doors. And I, I walked towards them. But while they were doing that, they were shining this bright light in my my eyes. It, it, was a, it was an instrument about the size of that magic marker. And it looked like a fluorescent tube, except it was really bright. Mm. It hurt my eyes. And every time they went past my eyes, it hurt. And I kind of closed them. And they kept walking me. And I was wondering... Why were they walking me, shining that light in my eyes? This took me several years to figure this out, Andy. And what they were doing is you won't, if you're laying down, you'll close your eyes, right? So they're not going to get a good light into your brain. Mm. So what they do is oh, they, walk, okay. they okay. walk you. You're walking. So your eyes will be open because they're walking you and they, they know you. They functional to get a good look. Right. So, uh, so they weren't, they were kind of like amateurs with that because i was able to recall most of that dream uh i went back a year later and i asked the manager i said i want room 14 again could you get me that room he said sure it's open he said you got it's all yours so i went in i took a study and i walked up and down the room i took pictures uh because when i left that room a year before this didn't happen i didn't know this happened until i had a lucid dream later and i took pictures of it of the room and I put them on my computer and I looked at it and I said, oh, my God, that's what I was doing. I was walking back and forth up to the patio doors and then back. And I said, that's what they were doing. And the table and the chairs were right there where I saw them. I said, there, there was two beings sitting there. I said, oh, my God. I said, that's what it was. So wow. I go back. I, I try to figure these things out. Just like I tried to figure out that one, the second UFO I saw with my friend. I figured out, I went back one day up in that lot, and that's before it's all grown over and everything's gone now. But I went up and took a look at where we saw it. We saw it in the Southwest. I'm relating this to my, my, my one that I saw when I was 14 with my best friend. And we was looking at it in the Southwest, but when it took off, it took off due west. So I kind of drew a picture of it, and I said, okay, it moved. That's something else I recalled. It, re, it moved about 35 degrees. So it didn't stay in place like we thought. We thought it just hovered there in one place. It didn't. It moved. And and it took shots straight out west because it couldn't have shot straight out west. It, it, it was above. It was on the other side of my house, and it shot out straight out west. And uh, so I, I do check myself, and I research some of these things, and that's what I've been doing. I keep notes, and I research things. Uh my wife's got a good eye for things. She's an uh, academic, and she's she's not into UFOs or anything, but she knows they exist. She knows that I have company in this house, and she calls them my buddies. She says, I don't like them here, and I said, I can't stop them. You know, they come here, and that's what they do. But she's felt she's felt things. This uh, poor woman, you know, most wives have to put up with uh, a few old-school friends that uh, their husbands that they don't really uh, like or they're not fond of. And yeah. this wife, she has to put up with extraterrestrials dropping yeah. in yeah, she overnight, doesn't... you know, yeah. and, and fooling yeah. with her husband. I mean, this is a this is a different set of marital um, conditions to deal with altogether. Right, and she didn't know this when I 
when I married her, I didn't tell her about it. I said oh, I had, you know, yeah. you <laughs> but she didn't know I was this deep and, and still it's still going today. Yeah. And uh, especially with the event I told you, with the crickets in my ears, that event the other night, it scared me. I It almost to the point where, should I stop? <laughs> but uh, the next thing that happened was some big abduction events uh, right after that. And I think Hiroko was probably involved in that. Oh, wow. You were abducted? Yes. I've been abducted uh, several times. Yeah. Wow. Uh, because I've had these... I've had these lucid dreams that actually told me, but these were the conscious. Now, the conscious abductions are what I'm just about ready to tell you. Now, this happened in 2011, right after that incident with uh, with Hiroko, with her two kids, my grandkids, I call them. They had the DNA from me. They They bring your kids to show them one time. And then after you meet them one time, that's it. You don't see them no more. Wow. So these these were my grandkids, and Hiroko was my daughter. Okay? That's that's where it all ends up. And I've had people tell me out of the blue. So the uh, DNA from when you were a teenager? And yes. Then... Well, no, not when I was a teenager. Actually, when I was in my in, in 95, wow. when, when that, that little gray took samples. That's ah, what he yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where the samples come from for these wow. two the grandkids i call them uh, and for in my now now Hiroko might have come earlier you know this this could have happened they could probably hold dna their time is different than ours we are here earth time is a little di different you can be in in uh, outer space you can be there for what say 10 years and you come back here 100 years to past you know, the time differential. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, yeah. part of so, the time we have is based upon that turning of the earth, right? I mean, so... Right. Well, what whatever dimension they come from, there's a time difference, and they, they live for thousands of years. So I don't know what, what dimension Hiroko come from or anything, but that, that semen could have been collected from me back when I was 14 on up, you know. That's where, where she could have come from. They could have saved it or years went by. But these two, I had a lady tell me, I was at a convention in Arkansas, UFO convention. I went there with my buddies several years in a row. And in 2011, I went there as April. Uh, is in around the first week of April, I went there. I went down and, and down in the and downstairs in this big convention center. There was a shop. People put up shops and they were selling things, you know, articles and clothing and and UFO things. And I walked past this one gal who she worked with dolphins. And uh, she was she was giving readings to people, and uh, she was really nice gal, uh, probably early thirties. And uh, I started walking past her, and I looked at her her displays, and she looked at me funny. And I thought, okay. And I started walking away, and she says, "Come back, come here." I, I said, "What?" She goes, "I said I don't want a reading." Okay, I've had. I said I can read myself anymore lately. I said. She goes, that's what I want to talk to you about. She said, you were just abducted, weren't you? Huh. And I said, yes, I, I was. I said, several times. And and I said, uh, I just met an alien, humanoid alien. She goes, stop. Don't tell me what she looks like. I'll tell you what she looks like. I said, oh, okay. I said, I got a picture in the room. I can probably go get it. She goes, no, I don't need it. I'll tell you what she looks like. Said she's Japanese Asian, about five foot five. And she has hair down to her shoulders, said she has cheekbones that are not familiar 
with most Japanese culture or race. And, and I, I said, yeah. And I said, who is she? She said, you know who she is. I said, no, you tell me. She said, that's your daughter. I said, what? Out of the blue now, this woman didn't know me. She just come out and told me this. And she said, that's your daughter. And I said, what about the two young ones? She said, those are grandsons. And I said, wow, she was right on. And I, and I was standing there. I didn't tell her anything. She told me. And she, because I was going to get her a picture, I was going to show her what she looked like. And she said, she said, I already know what she looks like. Wow. This, this woman was gifted also, some way or another. And, uh, but that's why I, I come to believe that, you know, if people felt this, then I was ignoring it for the longest time that, that these two were my grandkids and she was my daughter. I thought it, but I didn't come out absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's very strange. I guess you could say you could read coincidence to many of the other events, but not that one. Yeah. And then she told me, Andy, she told me to go talk to this tall black guy. He was well-dressed in a suit, tall, good-looking guy. She goes, I want you. She said, I know you can read people. She said, I want you to go and talk to him. Tell me what you think. And I went and talked to him, and his buddy took off. And uh, he was standing there, and uh, I said, he was he was working with some kind of aeronautics company. At least that's what he said. But he was actually a psychologist, he told me. And I said, oh, you're a psychologist. And I said, uh, I said, you're, uh, I said, you have, I said, you have ET knowledge? And he goes, what do you mean, ET knowledge? And he looks at me and he says, you have a glow about you, don't you? I said, "You can you see it? He said, yes, I see it. Only a hybrid or an ET can see that glow. They, they go by color codes. If you're a red glow, they stay away from you. They like green glows, and they don't like black. They see a black glow around you, that's bad. Red glow is bad. A yellow glow is okay, and so is a, a blue glow. But a green glow is what they look for. And I said, I said, oh, you can see my color uh, aura. He goes, yes. I said, are you one of them? I said, are you a hybrid? I'm going to come right out and ask you, are you a hybrid? <laughs> I said, you you kind of look like a hybrid alien. He says, well, some people say I, I am. And I said, he said, no. I said, I don't know about that. I said, I said, you and I are talking to each other. And I said, I, it takes one to know one. I said, I think I know a little bit about what's going on here. And he looks at me kind of funny, like he didn't want to say anything more. He gave me his business card. But when I, a few days later, I could try to call that number and the number wasn't wasn't even working and i walked past this lady again she said what did you think i said you're correct i think he is a hybrid he's he's you know he's an et walking in in human skin Uh, and so yeah so these are weird people that i run into but to get to my abduction conscious abduction i'll tell that and then i'll probably close it out because we're getting we're getting into long times here oh yeah yeah uh, it was a sunny afternoon, Andy, and uh, I was on my computer. It was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, one thirty. And here's here's what they do to abduct you. And I've heard this a lot of times from a lot of people, and it happened to me. They make you really tired. They hit you with some kind of energy. They make you tired. And so I was sitting there on my computer. I said, wow, I feel really tired. I slept okay. And I, and I was doing some work on the computer, and I got up. 
And I went and laid down to stretch my back out. I told you I had a bad back. So I just stretched my back out. I wasn't, I don't take naps. If I take a nap, I'm ruined. I cannot Same. take naps. That's it. Yeah. yeah. No sleep. I'm, yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, you either sleep or you don't sleep. But I laid there and then I heard the static electricity behind me. I was laying on my left side and I had my hand, you know, with my head, holding my head up and, and heard the static electricity. I said, what the heck is that? I turned around to check it out, and it was really loud. I mean, it was popping and snapping. I thought the house was burning. I, I looked around, and all of a sudden, it hit me in the shoulder, and I was paralyzed. And I know what sleep paralysis is. I've had it a couple of times in my life. This was not sleep paralysis. This was something that snapped me, hit me with electrical charge, and I was paralyzed. So I, I went straight, and I was holding. I had my hand up against the headboard, and and I thought, okay. I thought I'd move again. I tried it again, and it hit me again. That time, I couldn't move at all. All I can do is move my eyes, and I was looking out my, my bedroom door. I could see the sun coming in from the other side of the rooms. And then I heard my sister's voice say, Dave, come on. You can do it. You can do it. And I called her Sissy. I said, Sissy, I said, do what? She said, you can do it. I said, Sissy, come to the door. Talk to me. Tell me what you know. what's going on. And she said, I can't. I can't come to the door. So I could talk and I could see, but I could not move. And and to tell you a little backstory on that, my sister's been dead for four years. Okay. This she was she come through the portal with these ETs through another dimension. That's the only way I can think of it. And and I thought, okay, what's going on here? And then I felt a baby's hand in my fingers. And it it uh it was I could feel the palm. And I felt the fingers and I said, Oh my God, it's a baby. It's about maybe a five, six month old baby, maybe something where in that area. But then I thought, no, wait a minute. After I looked at my records, my ledger, it was nine months to the day that, uh, that actually they, that, you know, Hiroko and her two sons come and visited us or me and my cousin. And I thought, oh my God, it's nine months, but they don't need that much time. They can, they can probably, you know, create a human life quicker in these tubes that they have. And I felt, and I pulled down on the hand and I thought, something is crazy. This is telling me there's a baby and it's probably mine. Next to my hip, I felt a heavy weight set down and the bed went down and it was leaning up against my hip. I said, oh my God. I said, what's next? And I screamed out, God help me, real loud, set twice. After the second time, everything just disappeared, and I was able to move. And I I got up out of the bed, and I walked around. I couldn't, you know, after all these things that I've been through, and this, this, was, a, this was a conscious, you know, you know, being aware of what was happening. So... The first, the first time it happened about a week or two weeks before, I felt the shock on my finger. And I wasn't near any electrical thing. I was in bed sleeping about 1030. I wasn't well. I think I had the flu. I was going to go, you know, to the clinic the next day to get some medicine for the flu. And, and my finger was kind of like laying out and all this, all of a sudden a big shock happened. I heard this pop and it hit my finger and I thought my finger was blown off. So I said, Oh my God. And I felt my finger and it was still there. And I turned on the light and I looked at my finger. There's nothing wrong. It was electrical snap that, that hit me really mm. hard. Mm. I looked at where my, where my, uh, nightstand and my light was at. I was about four feet away from it. I said, I couldn't have never touched that area because, you know, it was four feet away from it. 
And but I had another event where my shoulder was hit again. And I pushed away with my arm and I tried to push it away from me. This happened uh, about a week. I think there was about a two or three week period that these shocks, electrical shocks hit me. And I thought I pushed it away and it stopped. I talked to Dr. David Jacobs. He was at the convention that year. Uh, and he told me and he laughed at me. I told him about the story. I said, you not, you don't believe me, uh, doctor? He goes, no. He said, you weren't being abducted. He said, they were bringing you back. He said, that's what happens when they bring you back. And he said, you were abducted, yes, but they, they brought you back. At oh, electric- you got the wake up. Yeah, so it's in a reverse. Uh, everything, everything that happens with ETs, your mind will go into the reverse okay. of what actually takes place. I thought I was being abducted, but I wasn't. I was being brought back. Yeah, you but woke up at the end of the operation, not the beginning. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's how ETs work. You know, you never know what you're coming or going. It's, but yeah, I've, I've had some strange things that happened to me. My body's been frozen. Uh, this has happened in 2016. Uh, I was in Alaska for a couple of years. My wife was working with a DOD up there. And we were there for a couple of years. And a couple of things happened up there with uh, airport strange things that happened. I got some pictures, I think, of a little gray on my camera up there in the uh, up there in the house that we lived in for a couple of years. and But nothing really strange like they talk about Alaska. I never saw a UFO in Alaska. That's weird. I just think a lot of those programs, you know, Alaska is the land of limitless possibilities. Big right, it is. UFOs, lake monsters, and it makes good TV. Yeah, there's a lot of energy there, though, because my tri-field meter in the living room, it went, it pegged out. I told my wife, I said, this is not healthy for us to sit in. So we did not sit there and watch TV. We watched it in our bedroom, which had less energy. I talked to, actually, our landlord lived downstairs, and he was a a college professor. And he was, I guess, he was a big shot there at the the Fairbanks, uh, you know, Alaskan College. And he had Arctic trips he did with the military. And they work with the military a lot there, that, that college does, for some weird reason, whatever. But I told him, I, I showed him, I said, uh, I said, Asadi, he was, he was, he were, uh, they were Eastern Indian, real nice couple. They, they, they really liked me. And I, I went out to lunch with him several times and to a meeting, a rotary meeting. That's where I got one of my apports in my pocket, but I showed him the meter. Now here's the scientist who knows all instruments. He looks at the, my meter. I said, uh, Sadi, you know, this tri-field meter, it's a, it's a nice meter, you know, and, uh, it was pegging out. I said, do you see that? He said, what does that mean? I said, oh, come on, don't play dumb. He didn't want to tell me. I said, this is a tri-field meter. I said, you know what this is. I looked at him, I smiled. I said, you're not telling me, are you? I said, look at the energy that's in this room. I said, it's pegging out. I said, that's not healthy. I said, anything over 1.5 milligauss is not healthy. And uh, I said, it's pegging out at, at, at five milligauss. I said, that's you can't live in this environment. I said, it makes me nervous to be in here. So uh, he denied knowing anything. You know, he, he said, I don't, I don't keep up with those kind of instruments. I said, come on, you're a scientist. My God, you know, I said, you've probably seen elaborate instruments other than this. But yeah, there was high energy there. And I, I felt that. But uh, getting back to the frozen thing, and, and I guess I'll start closing out here. But this is what puzzled my doctors. I got an implant right here in which I'm going to see the doctor in a couple of weeks. 
And he, he looked at it, but he didn't touch it. And he took an x-ray of it, and it's you can see it in there. It's right in my thumb area. And it actually hurts me when I handle a doorknob. And I told him that it needs to come out, but whatever you take out, I want it. It can't be a bone chip, because if I did, if there was a bone chip, yeah, I couldn't move my yeah. thumb like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's got to be something added. And so the doctor, is he doesn't want to mess with it. He's actually ignored it uh, two, three or four months ago when I first talked about it, and he, got, he took hand x-rays. So I'm going to be talking to him again in two weeks. I'm going to insist that, you know, this causes me pain. I want it out, but I want it. Whatever you take out, I want. I'd be interested in seeing that. Yeah. I, and he, uh, so I'm going to talk to the doctor, but actually what happened when I was frozen, I talked to my other doctor, and this is a, a lady doctor. She was about the smartest doctor I ever had. She, she was a great doctor, and we kind of lost her because she, she went into management and went up into the hospital more. So I... Uh, I told her about my freezing episodes, and this was about just before she was leaving the, the practice and moving up, and uh, she trains doctors, and she's smart enough to do that. It's a lovely lady, and uh, she asked me, she said, tell me about your freezing episodes, because she saw it on my list I wanted to talk to her about. I said, yeah, this is happened a couple of weeks ago. I said that uh, this was in 20." 20 i think or 2021 maybe 2021 it happened and uh i told her it just happened a couple of weeks ago she said well how do you feel i said i wake up about three o'clock in the morning my hands are folded across my my stomach i said it's like me laying in a coffin i said i don't sleep like that i said i never sleep like that i said i felt my arms and they were ice cold i said i was shivering and shaking the bed violently i'm a big guy and i shook that bed violently my wife didn't wake up and the funny thing about that, my wife wakes up if my cell phone drops off of the nightstand. Mm. It's on the carpet, makes it just a little thud. She wakes up. She said, what was that? And and so she didn't wake up. The bed was shaking violently, and she didn't wake up. So that tells me something. I told the doctor that. And uh, and my wife was standing there, and she didn't say nothing because, you know, she she knew that something happened, but she didn't wake up. She She knew she was knocked out. And the doctor said, well, I, she checked my charts and everything. She said, you don't have sugar. I said, no, no sugar diabetes or anything. She goes, well, that, she said, I don't know what happened. She said, was it cold in the room? I said, no. I said, it was August. It was hot. And I said, we had, it was about 72 degrees, and I had blankets and a sheet on. I said, I was cold. And I said, but I was freezing. My whole body was, I said, dead cold, dead. I should have been dead at that, that temperature in my body. should have been dead. I told her that, and she goes, well, I don't. I don't know what to tell you. She had a doctor apprentice that was training, and she uh, she said, have you ever heard of that? She goes, no, I haven't. And uh, I said, well, to add a little mystery to this doctor, I said, this is the sixth year in a row that this happened, and it happens between August 11th and August 14th, every year for six years in a row. She looks at me. She says, you're kidding me, right? I said, no, I'm not, doctor. I said, I got notes. I got ledger notes that I keep notes on. I said, it's in my ledger six years in a row. The same thing happens to me. And she, her eyes got big. She looked at me. She looked at the other doctor. She said, I don't know what to tell you, David. And it just so happens that uh, about six months later, I give her a copy of my first book, <laughs> the huh. UFO. And, and those stories are in there. So, uh, you know. And so now she knows to think about it. Now she's saying. Yeah. yeah. So she, wow. she knows wasn't kidding. Uh, but no, I've had medical things happen to me that I don't understand. 
uh, just here about three months ago. I had marks on my legs, little holes in my legs. And uh, I was thinking, and one guy who I thought he's kind of CIA type of guy, you know, one of those. And he told me, said, that's not ET. I said, who is doing it? And he thought it was people like us yeah. or certain groups of people in which I don't want yeah. to say. Yeah. So, and uh, he said, those, they're, they're little round holes and they're, they're in a row on my left leg. And it's, and not only did it happen then, it happened 2012, 2014, 2018, and then just this past year in 23. And I've got pictures of all those little holes. I went to the doctor and I showed him the scars were, were healing by the time I got to the doctor. That's how long you got to wait. And he's, he, I showed him the pictures that I took when they were fresh. They were like blood red and they were just little holes, not scabs. No, there wasn't anything to do with, uh, you know, with any kind of a certain outbreak or any kind of disease or anything. And he looked at the pictures and he looked at, you know, and my leg and they were healing up and they were just about gone. He looks at me kind of strange. He didn't know what to say. I said, I said, doctor, they said, these are the four pictures and, you know, in the separate years. I said, same little holes, but sometimes more so than others. He didn't know what to say on the diagnosis sheet. He wrote down patient has a rash. That's all he said. He couldn't say anything else. Uh, he didn't say it was some kind of a disease or anything. It, it was a rash, he called it. Uh, rash is the coverall explanation for right. the unexplained. Yeah. Right. Yeah. On yeah. The skin. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still, you know, uh, still things are happening. You know, uh, like I told you about the dove story. I, I told you that just happened. And the crickets. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, that was a, a synchronicity, a spiritual. Is it probably a warning to me in a way? what was to come and what came I told you about that happened to me the yeah. other night. I don't want to elaborate on that, but I, let's say uh, to the audience, I, I heard loud, very loud crickets. <laughs> well, you know, I, it's fascinating to me. As I say, this subject is almost completely unknown to me, really, Dave. And um, stepping into this world a little bit, listening to you tonight, has been eye-opening, really, really eye-opening. And, most of the things you've mentioned, I've, I've never even heard of before. These concepts, yeah. and these um, these characters in this you know, this um, um, in this ET play that's going on in our world. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Just before we we go, just let everybody know, you know where they can get the books, how they can get in touch, and and support anything that you're doing. Okay, I I don't have a uh, website. I got it on Hangar One Publishing. I got a a website there. Uh, my books are being sold on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Kindle. And uh, they, uh, you know, who are they? And and I, what are they here for? That book is still selling. It's it, you know, UFO books aren't big sellers, but this book continues to sell quarterly. People are interested. I think there's more interest now since disclosure. Uh, and then my angel book. Uh, is on Barnes and Noble, Kindle by the same publisher. The only publisher is different was the Senseless Wars book and uh, Conflicts, in which I describe secret groups and why we fight and who 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 earns money from it and who doesn't. 
It's the poor man who goes to the war, and it's the rich man who benefits. That's what it's all about, the elites. So this book kind of targets that, but I'm republishing that book. I took it from a publisher because there were some erroneous things going on. Numbers were not being straight. So I, I took it away from them, signed out, and I turned it over to Amazon to publish it. So I'm republishing that book, uh, in Senseless Wars. But my other book I'm working on now is about an E.T., and a humanoid relationship in which they're battling the evil underground in which i told you the reptilians mm. what i what i put in there is the uh uh the reptilians the call the tall grays the human uh extraterrestrial in which are mean they don't like us and they're just like us they're human and they're like us and uh, people might have seen pictures of them in the past that they were in pentagon and places like yeah. this yeah so but they are the meanest ones. And then the, the, the mantis beings. Those I have as the four underground and the elites, cabal, all mixed in together with that uh, new world order. And this is a battle that he becomes a hero. And uh, he's battling all these, these things. Just like what's going on really wow. right now. I like that. So it's sort of a, a fictional story based upon sort of real yes. situations. It's based on all three of my books. Wow. Except I, I'm not, I'm speaking in third person. I'm actually my hero. I'm talking through my hero because I've, I've witnessed war. He's battling the underground. I witnessed ETs and I, I've witnessed angelic and, and entities that, that we're not familiar with, like the cryptids. It's in that angel book. I got cryptids, Bigfoot. I got the eight monsters from the uh, Bible uh, history. So I've got all that in that book and the angel and, and, uh, you know, that and the supernatural entities. That book is, is just was released about three, four months ago. Yeah. And, uh, so it took a lot of research, you know, so that's a book, but, uh, this fourth book is a sci-fi book. So I wanted to do a sci-fi, you know, and I put this all in the book together. Well, so. I think it's popular. Everybody loves sci-fi. Well, Dave, thank you so much for, for coming on and explaining this. I'm definitely, definitely. Got to pick up, I think, a copy of today first. That'll be my first one. So, so just anybody else out there who's listening, get on to Hangar One Publishing or Amazon or Barnes or wherever you shop, pick up yeah. a copy of one of Dave's books. They, they really are amazing. Dave, thanks so much. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much.